of the next month. And so if you are interested, I would appreciate you letting me know. I think I have pretty much all who are going to join, uh, but if you're thinking about that, please let me know so I can include you in uh, all of the logistics of this taking place. Crossroads Pregnancy Care Center uh, often does a fundraiser this time of year of filling up baby bottles. Garris, or, uh, Madison Greathouse is kind of the person who's working there who is our link, was going to bring the baby bottles today uh, due to the death of her grandfather. They are not here, so uh, you'll be able to pick up your baby bottles next week. All right. The Heidelberg Catechism states this we're going through that this year tremendous truths in the catechism the first two questions and answers are so critical and foundational for our life as believers question three is this how do you come to know your misery the law of god tells me question four what does god's law require of us christ teaches us Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's allow this truth to settle in our heart, bring us to confess before our Lord the sin that is there, asking God for his mercy and his grace to prepare us to give him worship worthy of his name. Let's take a moment. come into your presence this day we recognize God that you are a God of grace it is by grace that you have saved us it is by grace that you keep us it is by grace that you shape and mold us as your people into the image of Christ I pray father that you would give us understanding of these truths understanding of our place before you Lord that we are guilty before you and yet Lord you have declared us righteous and we are forever grateful and thankful for that I pray Lord that you would give us ears to hear that you would open up our eyes to see the truth of your word that you would open our hearts to be able to sing and give you honor and glory and praise that our minds would be attentive to the scriptures as they are read the scriptures as they are preached lord i pray that our hearts would come to the table 
and the table would exercise us in a way that would cause us to rejoice in our great salvation. Lord, we pray if there are any here today without Christ, those who do not know the truth of the gospel, Lord, I pray that your spirit would call them to faith this day. Lord, do the work in hearts that no man can do. And so, God, we look to you and ask you to do these things for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. If you would please stand for the reading of the scripture as we look to God's word to call our hearts to worship. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all round him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all round. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because the judgments, because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name.
as you are, please lend your attention to the reading of God's holy word. A reading from the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. A reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigneth from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because one man's trespass, death reigneth through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Please stand. Come behold our wondrous mystery in Stand all ruined sinners 
mystery of Christ. If you would please open in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. You recall last Sunday morning Pastor Jason brought such a strong message regarding the church, kind of a foundational type message from Matthew 16 where he says, I will build my church. This morning, we're going to kind of move forward with that and kind of look at how God is building his church. This particular book, Ephesians, is so critical in our understanding of the New Testament church, what God, the people of God. I'd like to begin reading in verse 1. Our context today really begins in verse 7, but I'd like to pick up here to kind of give us the context behind it. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions? the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word, as we recognize what you have done in our lives in saving us, Lord, the gift that we have to be able to be a part of a a family, a household of believers, to be your children, that you are our Father, that we are joint heirs with Christ. Lord, these are marvelous things. Lord, we unfortunately live in a religious culture that so devalues church, so devalues the ministry of the body to one another and what you have called it to do. So, God, as we look into your word and understand properly what the church is, God, might you cause our hearts to love you, to love your people, to love your body. Father, that we would be a people that would be given to serve one another. Lord, that we, no matter what our part, be it large or small, that we might do it faithfully, that we might do it as unto you, that we might do it, Lord, to recognize that you are our head. And, oh, God, might we as a church grow up into you, Lord, that we would be like Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, these are lofty, lofty words, lofty goals that we could never even begin to attain in our own flesh. Lord, we know by your grace, by your kind mercy, by the power of your word in our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we can see these things accomplished to your glory and to your honor. Amen. Sovereign hands are ever ready to 
to uphold me should I fall. Safe beneath his wings of refuge, all my fears are kept at bay. I am sheltered by his faithfulness, Christ will be my hideaway. In you, my God, I trust you. Kathy, worship team for each one who serves us. Sometimes we forget the sound team until something goes bad, then we realize they're back there. Uh, but thank you for your faithful service to us week in and week out. I trust that you have your Bibles open before you. We are going to be looking at several texts of Scripture in the book of um, Ephesians, so I would encourage you to make sure you have your Bible open to follow along. What I would like to do today is just kind of set forth the process that God is in how he is building the church. As you read through the scriptures, read through the text that we read this morning, even with a casual observation, it's very quickly evident that our calling as children of God is not in a vacuum or in isolation, 
but we are called within the context of a body of believers and ambassadors to a lost world. Many look to the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2 as the beginning or the birth of what we would refer to as the church, Jew and Gentile being one, the Spirit of God taking up a little bit of a unique type of ministry of the indwelling of every believer, the new covenant truths of uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah being fulfilled in God's people. And after the preaching of Peter on that particular day, we begin to see how the early church, those beginning believers, there were 3,000 people in a miraculous moving of the Spirit of God, were saved on that day. God regenerated them, saved them, they're baptized. It's just a glorious, glorious scene there in Acts chapter 2. Then we begin to see how these people, these 3,000, God's people, God's redeemed, began to function with one another. And it says, and they, this group, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the coming together around the things of God, to the breaking of bread. Many believe this is probably a foreshadowing or the table itself, and to prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. They were caring for one another. They recognized the tremendous persecution that was coming upon the early church. Many were ostracized from their family, their employment. They sought to care for one another. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see that as God began the church, as God began to move, people are not saved in isolation. People are saved within the context of a group. They live life together. We grow together. We are the people of God. A little bit later in Acts chapter 14, Paul is coming to the conclusion of his first missionary journey. And he is kind of following up by going back through and strengthening some of the churches. Listen to just the simple process of the building of the church, God's people. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, these are the words of Jesus, Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. Go into the nations and make disciples. And it said they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, the followers of Christ, those who are saved, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So in Acts chapter 2, there's not the mention of a church, but we see God's people gathering together. These people that God is going to build. I will build my church, he says. Here we see in these cities, these people who are regenerated by a work of God's grace are coming together, and Peter said, or Paul says that when they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, and they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
So what is the process? How does God build the church? Why should we value the church? Why is it important to covenant with a group of believers in a local community of Christians to carry out the work that God has ordained for his people? Why the church? Is it important? Or is it simply a social function where we go when we have time, when we want to do so, we want to be entertained, we don't really want any responsibility, we want to be able to come into a really, really nice building, have all the perks, have everything for our children, have everything for the teens, have everything for our lives, where we're investing very little. That is so far away from what God is doing here in the first century and what he is doing all through history in building his church. I'd like for us to go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Sometimes I think in America the church is undervalued simply because we do not understand the process of what God is doing. How God saves man, why God saves man, and how God is working in that person's life and what he has given, gifted to them in order for them to grow and to look like he desires them to look. It begins in Ephesians 1, one of the clearest declarations of the Trinity's work in eternal salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he, God the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God chooses a people that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He has given us a definition of a family. He has placed us into his family. We look at one another and call one another brothers and sisters, not because it's some cool religious way in order to identify people, but because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family. We are a household of God. We are adopted into his family according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. So God chooses us to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him, in the beloved, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Those that the Father chose, the Son redeemed. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Father chooses us. The Son redeems his people. And the Spirit of God seals us, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul then goes into a prayer for the people in Ephesus. He asks God to make the truths that he has just set forth to become real in their minds, in their hearts, that they in their experience would embrace the truth of God's word, that God's word would be evident. They would recognize the spiritual blessings. They would recognize the hope that we have in Christ, the power that is ours in Christ. As he comes to the conclusion of his prayer, look down to verse 22 if you would. And put all things under his feet, Christ, and gave him Christ as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is not merely a place. The church is not merely something that we go to. The church is the body of Christ. It is the people of God. Chapter 2, Paul launches into chapter 2 that salvation is by grace. We are created in good works. We should walk in them. And then he goes into a mystery. Jew and Gentile separated for centuries if you were going to embrace the promises and be a part of the covenant you had to become a jew you had to go through circumcision you had to do all those things but now in christ jew and gentile are one that wall has been broken down let's enter into this discussion in verse 16 chapter 2 he says that he might reconcile us jew and gentile both to God in one body, Jew and Gentile, the same people of God, Jew and Gentile, one body in Christ. Through the cross, he does this through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All of these are synonymous with the church, the body, the temple, the household of God, the people of God. Jew and Gentile all coming to God in the same way through Christ. The Father chooses them, the Son redeems them, the Spirit seals them. It is a work of God whereby we are placed into Christ, but not in isolation. 
We are placed into Christ as a household, as a body. We, we, plural, we, the people of God, are being built up into this incredible image that we are that place where God inhabits. You read about this church in Ephesus several years later by the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it speaks about Christ walking among the lampstands. He identifies the lampstands as churches. This concept that it isn't just the greater body and undefinable people, but that we in local communities, in local areas, come together as a group of believers. And in those local places where God's people are meeting, it says that, the, that, that Christ walks among them. Oh, how beautiful that is. How sad it is to see the church boil down to some technological entertainment center. Oh, we have something so much greater than fog machines and light shows and laser shows. We have Christ. We come together as a people who worship Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. If you were to go through a normal membership class here, there are th several things that we speak about in the sense of we are this, we define ourselves, but not this. Simply wanting people who are thinking about uniting with this body of believers, what we value. I hope, I trust, it is my deepest conviction that what we value is what God values, what the scriptures value. And so it is extremely important that we understand the church. Just move on down to, ver to chapter 3. We see this process of the church. Verse 6, this mystery, Jew and Gentile one, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. This body of whom Christ is the head. This body that is built upon the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He gives several metaphors to help us understand the working, the process. When Jesus said, I will build my church, this is what it's looking like. This is what it is taking shape as he builds it. He saves the people. He places them in Christ in this body. And then there are local places within that body. When Paul would write the letter to Corinth, he would say to the church in Corinth. When he wrote the region, the churches in the region of Galatians, he would say to the churches in Galatia. Thessalonica, the same thing. When he writes this letter, he simply addresses the saints. But that is the church. That is the body of Christ. The text that we read today deals with what it looks like. How is this taking place? But what's the inner dynamics of the church? What role do you play? Do you play an important role? 
Are you simply a spectator? Or are you a participant? Do you simply come and observe when you want? Or is there some type of biblical mandate into your heart as to how you should function within this body? Will you someday stand accountable before God, before our Lord, for how you conduct yourself within the body. He is so plain here. What is the church to look like? Every church has a little bit different personality. We understand that it's made up of different people. There are different leaders. Oftentimes when a pastor has been in a church for a long period of time, that church in some degree takes on a little bit of the personality of its leader of one that God has called to lead that flock. But it is critical that even with small differences, that we understand ultimately what we are to look like. Church growth is a multi-million dollar business people learning how to grow the church how do you turn into a mega church how do you attract all these people what do you have to do to reach the american person god gives us the goal and the process it is to the glory and praise of God, not the manipulation of man. Paul makes that so plain. When I go into the city, I do not preach with flattering words. I preach the gospel. I preach Christ. Verse 7, chapter 4. But grace was given to each one of us. He's been speaking about the unity of the body, the collective unit. Now he's going to back up a little bit and speak to us individually. What part do we play within the context of the household of God, within the church? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he goes back to Psalm 68 and draws out a quotation of God winning great victory over the enemy and receiving gifts. Here he speaks about the giving of gifts. He talks about the necessity of Christ coming to the earth in the incarnation, his death, burial, and resurrection, and then his ascension as we find in Acts chapter 1, back to the Father. And the Son now is at the right hand of the Father, and he is building his church. But he says to those whom the Father has chosen, the Son has redeemed, the Spirit has sealed, that the Spirit gives gifts, a grace, graces, these gifts. And these gifts are critical in the sense of the building of the body. I will build my church. How is Christ building his church? What is it to look like? Let me read kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12. Now lock this into your mind because we're going to see it come up toward the end of this passage in verses 15 and 16. 
But I want to read it here to put it into our mind because I think it fits in verse number 7. We're going to see how it works out later. Listen to Paul writing to the church at Corinth that were so mixed up with gifts, so out of whack with so many things. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And now there are varieties of service, of ministry. That's important. Lock that in your mind because we're going to see that term come up in just a moment in Ephesians. But the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so it is God working, God building. It's not multiple levels of gifts. It is the same God, the same spirit that is building his body. It's a unified work. It has purpose. It has intention. To each, if you're a believer in Christ, this is you. You're the each. I'm the each. To each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Important. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, he's now talking about the human body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink in one spirit. We're all placed into Christ and we're all given the Holy Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would, not, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God is doing this work. God is gifting you. God is giving you a grace. God is giving you a part. God is giving you an essential function in the church. Each one person of the body is important. No matter what aspect of your human body, every part of that body is important for the body to function the way it should. When you go AWOL on the church... There's a part of the body that is missing, a function that is vital to build it to where God wants it to be. God is doing these things. It is God who has placed this gift upon us and calls us to use it. Let me skip down toward the end of that passage. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. All right, let's go back to Ephesians passage. The first group that he is going to address in this gifting are the people that we might identify as leaders, the apostles, the prophets, the apostles, that first century group that had been eyewitnesses 
of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul coming in a little bit later with that unique experience that he had in seeing Christ. But these are people in that first century, the prophets, those, those whom God gave truth to. Back at uh, verse, or chapter 2, if you would please. The idea of the apostles and prophets in verse 20, and then again down in verse, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so the apostles and prophets God gave to the church. Look back in chapter 3, verse 7. I hope I'm not losing you here. This is Paul, certainly one of the apostles. He identifies this grace in his life. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to what? the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he continues on. That through the church, the manifold witness of God or wisdom of God would be made manifest. So these apostles, prophets, Evangelists, those who are going forth, I think itinerant gospel preachers heralding forth the gospel message, much like Paul did in church planting in that early centuries, the shepherds and teachers. The common ingredient to all of these people is the Word of God. Acts chapter 6 verses 2 through 4 and the 12 the, the apostles summons the full number of disciples and said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables therefore brothers pick out among you seven men of good repute full of spirit and wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word the scriptures the preaching of the word of God must be central in the building of the church. In taking the people who are saved by the grace of God and taking them where they need to be that we're going to see in these next verses. It is the word of God that is critical to that. The word of God must never be minimized among any group of believers. It must be clearly taught. It must be clearly articulated. It must be embraced. It must be studied. We as individuals must give ourselves to the study, the meditation of God's Word as it gets into our hearts and lives. All right, let's go back to verse 12. So he's gifted. God has done this. This is a work of God. The early church, the apostles and prophets, I think as he move on, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, those who are engaging in word ministry. He's given them the word, in verse 12 he says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It isn't that a pastor, a shepherd teacher, is never to do the work of ministry, but his primary ministry in the building of this body is the ministry of the Word of God. 
It is the ministry of prayer. It is this individual, these elders, pleading with God to make the word of God alive in the people to change them into what God desires for them to be. To renew their minds. To equip them the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to do battle against the enemy. All these many things, the functions of the word of God. And so these individuals are taking the word to equip. To equip men to be godly dads, to be godly husbands, to equip women to be godly moms, to be godly wives. To equip parents to understand how to minister in their home to their children. To help children understand what their responsibilities are and how they are to grow. All these many things that he's going to give us even in this letter of Ephesians. It equips them. It equips you to be able to serve one another how to pray for other people, how to come along beside them with the word of God and put an arm around them and stir them to good works to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. It is a spiritual ministry. It is a fellowship. It is a building. And so he says here, I'm gifting you in this body of Christ, in this greater body of Christ, but specifically in Ephesus at this local assembly, just like Randolph Street as we are assembled here together today. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For the building up the body of Christ. Building them up. Now, what does that mean? I mean, we kind of know that we're to be headed in a, in a, in a positive direction. It, when you build something, you're adding something to it. You're changing it a little bit. You're strengthening it. So you're building. We kind of understand the concept of the building. But what does this look like in the context of a church? I know we know we're not talking about physical buildings, to equip the saints for the building up the body of Christ until, okay, we're headed somewhere. We build until something happens, till it looks like something. Until we all, every individual in the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, till we have an understanding of what makes up the faith, can we identify the faith? Do we understand the truth that makes up what we believe as Christians? Well, certainly as a new believer, you don't understand all those things. And so we need to work with everyone, whatever level they are joining in. But our common goal is that we are all growing to understand the truth of God's Word. A common understanding. That, that's why when Paul would say, be careful not to be arguing about opinions and thoughts and this thing or that thing, because it's so easy to sidetrack people. We live in an age where this happens all the time, floating of opinion after opinion after opinion. And Paul says, Timothy, stay away from that. You anchor yourself in the word of the living God. We need to grow in our understanding of the scriptures, the unity of our faith. 
Pastor Jason is so good at taking truth, doctrine, theological concepts and truths and setting them forth in preaching to enter into the hearts of people. The series that he's doing on the first week, Doctrine Matters. It does matter. That is what we are to grow into, the unity of the faith, our understanding of truth. And he says, and the knowledge of the Son of God. We need to know Jesus. Paul would say a little bit earlier, he said, you're not like the unbeliever whose minds are darkened. He says, you are not like that. If so, you have received his word. If you have believed and know Christ. We need to know the biblical Christ. Not the Christ of our culture, but the Christ of the scriptures. We under, need to understand his character. How does he work with us? How does he interact with us? What is he wanting us to do? How does he interact with sinners, with the weak, with the lowly? We need to know Christ. And so this process, the, minute, the, the, the apostles and preachers are taking the word, they're equipping the saints for ministry. This ministry is to help us build up one another. And then he keeps on going. To mature manhood. Write these verses down. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 and Colossians 4, 12. Paul talks about giving himself in a fervent way to bring maturity to believers. A little bit later, it talks about Epaphras, who is the pastor in Colossae, praying, asking God to mature the people of his church to be like Christ. We need to be maturing. We need to be growing. Children are not children forever. They grow up. They go through those teenage years. And our prayer is that they will be people of good character, that they will mature, that they'll be able to deal with life, that they'll be good in their family, solid, solid people. That is where we are aiming to be mature. But what does that maturity look like? The maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we grow up, we're going to look like who? You can answer. Jesus Christ. Randolph Street grows and grows, and the, the acid test of our growth is not numbers, and I'm not against numbers. If God builds his church and sends many people, thanks be to him. But that's not the acid test. The acid test is, do we look like Jesus? Are we growing up into the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ? He says, we don't want to be kids. Kids are tossed to and fro with every wind of God. Everything that comes, they're here and there and here and there. The word is critical. The word is essential. 
The word is what helps us mature and move away from childish instability to become stable in Christ. Verse 15, rather he says, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way, every element of our faith. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're to look like Christ. Moms and dads, your goal as a parent is to help your children know Christ, to help your children love the church, to help your children grow and be like Christ. Oh, that's a lofty, lofty, lifelong goal that we will never fully attain on this earth. This church will never look exactly like Christ because we are sinners. We'll fight, we'll be upset, we'll disappoint one another, I'll disappoint you. There'll be some point in time you'll say, man, I, I can't believe Tim didn't help care for me. He just forgot me. And that can happen. But we are to be working toward that goal of being like Christ. Verse 16. All right, we're going to come back to that 1 Corinthians 12 truth. From whom the whole body, okay, individuals, body parts, he's going to relate that to the church. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every individual I am looking at today who is a part of this church, you have a function. You have a function. You have a critical function. No matter how anyone else looks at it, God looks at you. He has given you a grace. He's given you a gift. He has placed you in this body, and he expects you to use it, to use it in a way that will help the body grow in love, that we will be building ourselves up through the power of the Spirit, through the Word of the living God, it's all to the glory of God. It all is to the praise of the glory of His grace. But we are to be growing. We are to be functioning. When you think of the church in this context, when you hear people say, well, I don't, I don't want to belong to a church. I don't think I need to go to church. It's like saying the arm says, well, I don't think I really need a body. I'm just going to lay here in the ditch somewhere and I have a function. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's idiocy in the scriptures. I mean, it just can't work. We are the body of Christ. We are individually a part of it, but we are not saved in isolation. We are saved in a, in a household, in a family. We are saved as a part of a body. We are placed in a body by God Almighty, and we are to function in that body. We want our folks to know as we walk through a new member class that there are expectations of you. I don't want you to think, well, there's a grade sheet somewhere and someone's going to call and all that. Not that at all. We want you to recognize that you are an important part of this body. 
I don't know all that God has given you to be able to do that. I, I don't know those things. But you are a steward of what God has given, and we will all give an account to God someday. That's the body of Christ. That's the process. Jesus said, I will build my church. This is how he does it. He saves the people. He places them into Christ. Christ is the head. He gifts the body. And that primary goal of the body is to look like Jesus so that we might proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Probably the greatest compliment that could ever come from any person at Randolph Street would be, I see Christ in our church. I see the love of Christ. I see the mercy of Christ. I see the grace of Christ. I see the holiness of Christ. I see the seriousness of Christ. Three real quick takeaways before we come to the supper. There's so much more that I didn't get to today. What maturity look like? Just read chapters 5 and 6 of Ephesians. It'll show you. I mean, it's a beautiful book, a beautiful letter setting forth the church. Takeaways. One, be serious about the church. Be committed and faithful. Love the church. As I've grown over my 40-some years of ministry, having the privilege of pastoring and sharing God's Word, I can tell you honestly that I have grown in my love for the, what the Bible teaches about the church. I love the church. I love the people of God. I love the body of Christ. I want to see churches like Randolph Street planted all through Appalachia for the glory of God. God will build it. God will do it. I can't make it happen. But we're to love the church. Teach your children to love the church. Teach your children to value the church. Not that the church is something to be tolerated, but the church is something to be loved. The people of God are to be loved. Hurt when your brothers hurt. Rejoice when your brothers and sisters rejoice. Love the church. And then last, by God's grace, be shaped individually and collectively. Let's be shaped into the image of Christ. Every time we come to the table, it has such an appropriate function in our understanding of the Scriptures. How do we do this? We do it through humility. The table speaks about humility, the humility of Christ. Sacrifice. Read Ephesians chapter 5. That section that deals with the husband and the wife, that is all based on Christ's relationship with the church that he sacrifice for her. He loved her. He gave himself for her. The humility that is so critical for all that to happen. We've been talking about it in Philippians. That's the DNA of Christ and that's the DNA of the table. Christ, the humble one.
who came to take upon himself our sins to serve one another. So I trust as we come to the table that the truths we've seen today will indeed be strengthened in your own heart and life. I'm going to ask the elders if they would come at this time. The deacons, if you would get into place to dismiss. Our, our, our seating is kind of crazy right now, so wait till the deacons dismiss you. If you are a follower of Christ, whether you are a member of this local community of believers, we would invite you to partake the table with us today as brothers and sisters. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. If you're struggling with sin, we would encourage you to get those things right in your heart now that you might come to this table in a way of honoring the Lord, to recognize his grace in your life. Our Father, we thank you for your kind grace in our lives. Lord, we would pray that you would use this time at, our, at your table to draw your people unto yourself in a very close way. God, might we grow up into Christ in all things.
as we think about the table coming together in intimate fellowship around the table of the Lord, the body of Christ being broken, the blood of Christ being shed to purchase us, to redeem the church, to purchase a bride. All these things just come tumbling in together into our mind and heart. I trust that as the word has gone forth today, that it has helped us understand the beauty of the church, the beauty of Christ, and that we would value it and embrace it. The Apostle Paul, when writing to the church at Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would use it, that I will have not gotten in the way in something that I said or how it was said, but rather, Lord, you would take your word by your spirit to build your people, help us to grow Help us to be able to put on the whole armor, to be able to defeat the enemy. Help us to be able to lay aside sinful things that so easily encumber us and put on that which looks like Christ. Lord, help us to put on Christ each and every day of our life. Father, there's just so much truth and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put it in our minds, in our hearts, make sense of it, and Lord, might it produce fruit for your honor and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.
favorite text of scripture through my Christian life has been Hebrews chapters, chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 sets forth such a simple but such a beautiful picture of running the Christian life therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Amen. 